This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? Sequels suck. Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's all about the money, boys! Here we go again. It's been done to death. The whole self-aware postmodern meta crap? Stick a fork in 1996 already. Hey guys, and welcome back to Franchise Fatigue. This is a podcast where we talk about film series one movie at a time. I am your host, James Hamrick, and I am joined with my Wi-Fi-less host, uh, co-host, Gabe Green. What's going on? How's the situation over there? It's very dire. I Hmm. don't know if I can survive in these uh, horrible circumstances much longer. Sympathies. Yeah. Yeah, so right now I'm uh, trying talking to you on the phone, and hopefully nothing crazy happens. Just So uh, we are here to talk about the final film in the Scream series, Scream 4. I feel like this, this series just passed us by really, really quick. Yeah, maybe it's just because <laughs> we're like so many episodes into the MCU and we're like, hey, we're halfway done. Yeah, don't real series last like six months or something? Come on, Scream 4. We we should only we should have like at least four more after this. I guess we could do the TV series. I haven't watched that. I do kind of want to watch it though. I heard it got decent enough reviews. It, it was it was created by Kevin Williamson. I don't know if he actually I don't think he had all that much involvement after like after its creation, but uh he was like he's listed as like the creator. So real quick before we move into Scream 4, I want to ask you guys if you enjoy the show to please head over to iTunes and leave us a rating review and subscribe. I will be very much appreciated. And uh, if you want, you can like us on Facebook to keep up to date with all the latest episodes and give feedback that can end up on the show. And speaking of that feedback, I asked on Facebook what our listeners thought about this film. Josh Berkey from the Victims and Villains podcast said, honestly, it was refreshing and super underrated. And then uh, Peter said, it's a very solid sequel. I enjoy it thoroughly. It gets a little too CW-ish in casting cinematography, but it also remains intense and funny. CW-ish. And then moving directly into the behind-the-scenes story of Scream 4. Um, so the previous uh, Scream 3 came out in 2003. And, uh, sorry, came out in 2000, and it was intended to be the end of the series, you know, the, the, the wrap-up to the trilogy. Um, then sometime in 2008, Kevin Williamson approached Bob Weinstein with the idea for a fourth Scream that would spark a new trilogy. I don't. I'm wondering how did they plan to start a new trilogy, seeing as they keep killing off all the, all the new characters. Yeah. How does that work? The fourth one was initially announced in July of 2008 with Williamson writing. Uh, he incorporated the Return to Woodsboro storyline that had been his original plan uh, for Scream Three before Columbine, of course, uh, forced them to rewrite that film. In March of 2010, Wes Craven was announced to be returning as the director. Then in May of 2010, Kathy Conrad, uh, the Someone we probably should have mentioned in the previous three episodes. Uh, she was the producer of the first three films. She was the one who found Williamson's script and then brought it uh, to, to the wine scenes in the first place. And she was the producer on the entire the entire first trilogy. Um, she sued the uh, she sued the Weinstein company because apparently she was she was like contractually they were contractually obligated to come to her and offer her to uh, to produce it. Instead, the Weinstein's had planned to produce it uh, with uh, Wes Craven's wife, Aya Labonka. But then apparently she was right because they eventually settled out of court. Uh, supposedly she got around like $3 million, uh, for them trying to make a movie behind her back. And uh, troubles persisted throughout her production. Um, Screen 3's writer Aaron Kruger uh, was again uh, brought on because Kevin, uh, Kevin Williamson had conflicting schedule issues with uh, The Vampire Diaries. Uh, he was trying to do both at the same time and uh, the producers of Vampire Diaries threatened to sue him if he didn't get over there, get over there and do some more writing for them. So he eventually had to leave the project and uh, Kruger again took over. Wes Craven said, 
when asked about it, he said there was a bumpy period when things shifted over from Kevin to Aaron. I signed on to do a script by Kevin, and unfortunately, that didn't go all the way through the shooting. But it, but it certainly is Kevin's script and the concept and characters and themes. So it's crazy just how, but for how low key and kind of pleasant these movies are, they really seem difficult to ever get through one movie without some kind of major disaster. Uh, yeah, and the th- the problems actually. Um, not in huge ways, but kind of continued into the casting. Um, the character of uh, Judy Hicks was originally uh, to be played by Lake Bell. Uh, however, four days before shooting, uh, she had to drop ba- uh, drop out of the cast because of scheduling conflicts, uh, and she ended up being replaced by Marley Shelton, uh, as well as uh, Kate Robert. The character of Kate Roberts was originally going to be played by Lauren Graham. Uh, however, she had to drop out for the exact same reason, even sooner to production, maybe even as production was starting. Um, and then she ended up being replaced by Mary McDonald. So even, even like the getting into the actual shooting started off semi tumultuous, um, for the main cast, Nev Campbell, David Arquette and Courtney Cox all reprised their roles as does a uh, Roger L. Jackson as the voice of Ghostface. Um, the role of Jill Roberts originally was offered to Ashley Green. Uh, however, she declined and it ended up going to Emma Roberts. Um, for the character of Trevor Sheldon, the role went to uh, Nico Tortorella. There's a funny story about his um, his casting where he showed up and their audition was actually to play the final scene uh, from Scream 1, like the, to portray Billy Loomis. And he hadn't seen any of the films and stuff, and so he... He just did his own take on it, and they seemed to like it. However, they uh, they didn't give him the role initially because they said, well, you're good, but you're just too tall because he's much taller than most of the people they had cast at that point. Um, and he and his team had to keep bugging them until they're like, all right, fine, you have the role. Um, for the character of Kirby Reed, it went to Hayden Panettiere. Uh, Charlie Walker was played by Morgan from Signs, a.k.a. Rory Culkin. Um, Robbie Mercer was played by Eric Knudsen. Marielle Jaffe uh, was played by Olivia Morris. Uh, Rebecca Walters was played by Allison Brie. Um, for the police officer Ross Haas, the role went to Adam Brody. Uh, the other police officer, Anthony Perkins, was played by Anthony Anderson, who is actually also in the Scary Movie series. So he is now an actual character in the, uh, in the film that he had already parodied before. But yet, for the cameos, Amy Teagarden uh, and Britt Robertson play the first two girls to actually get killed, uh, Jenny Randall and Marnie Cooper. And then Anna Paquin, Kristen Bell, Lucy Hale, and Sinead Grimes all play various characters in the different fictitious stab films that open the film itself. Uh, Nancy O'Dell reprises her role that was started in Scream 2 as just some random reporter. And apparently, I haven't been mentioning this, but apparently Wes Craven has cameoed in all of these. Um, yeah. Yeah, he was, he I, was the uh, fr- got the the school janitor Freddy in the first one. That's who I was assuming because I thought he looked like him, but I just I guess I didn't confirm it. And then whenever I read uh, that he cameoed in this and that he had cameoed in all of them, I went back. I was like, oh well, I bet he's the Fred the Fred Krueger character. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's it for the casting. And so principal photography began in June of 2010 in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which mainly stood in for Woodsboro. Peter Deming returned from the previous two sequels to serve as director of photography. The Dearborn Middle School stood in for Westboro High, and they finally got to shoot in the school. And 
per the norm for the series, uh, the writing and rewriting for the film continued long into production, which meant you know they were often only getting the script you know the day before or the day of the shooting, which I'm sure they were all used to by now. So the film's post production wasn't nearly as a uh, marred by conflict with with R ratings as it had been before. I guess at this point, like you know, we released incredibly gory R-rated films all the time without any real real worry. So is it, was it just me or is this by far the bloodiest in the series? Like I feel like they discovered some some kind of like blood like some kind of like gear that just like pumps blood out of wounds. I feel like they've perfected something over the, the you know the last ten years. Like they were they were really going for the blood. Yeah. Kirby's death is like, oh this is painful to watch. That looks like the knife just like went in. Ouch. Yeah. Um which actually this was the in all the previous films, they use like uh, fake knives with retractable blades, and this one they actually use CGI knives. Yeah, that's what and I was going to mention. Also, it's weird, also like, a bit of CGI blood, which is weird because there's just something that feels super tangible in the kills here. Mm-hmm. But there's not really a whole bunch of info on the actual post production. Uh, the film was scored by Mar- Marco Beltrami again, uh, and it ended up getting released on April fifteenth, two thousand eleven. Was there any broken arrow in it this time? Not this time, actually. And there's also no red right hand, which really disappoints me. What's that? It's a the song Red Right Hand. It was used in the first three, all of them, but then because of copyright issues, I believe it wasn't used in the fourth one. All right, so yeah, James, uh, you think you, you said you watched all of these in close proximity? What did you think of this film uh, the first time you saw it, and what are your thoughts on it now? Yeah, so the first time I watched it, uh, I loved all four of them, um, and I think I actually had this as my second favorite originally. Um, and so over like the years after having not seen it, it just remained as like one of the better ones. And then we rewatched it about a year ago. And I, I think I ended up being harsher on it. Like than I am now, whenever I watched it a year ago and I kind of lumped it into three as being like, well, yeah, so it's just the first two that are really good. But then rewatching it this time, I liked it much more than I did the previous time. So now it's like, it's, it's these weird spikes of like huge love the first time, dislike the second time and, and a lot of like the third time. Um, and those are the only three times I remember seeing it. So that's my, my history with it has kind of been all over the place. Yeah. So I saw it right around seeing the, you know, the first three marathon through the series pretty quickly. And I like, I liked it a lot. I think my, I, I liked the first two better. I liked it better than third. And that's pretty much where I, I, I honestly, I think coming out of this viewing, I had pretty much the exact same thoughts. Like I like this movie and uh, you, you were talking about. I forget if it was the second episode, the second episode, and the second one or the third one. We're talking about these movies are kind of just like comfort food, and they're just like mm-hmm. really nice and fun and enjoyable, even though people are being <laughs> viciously murdered everywhere. It's like they're, they're, it's it's like watching a sitcom where you come in every week and you know, you know what's going to happen, you know how the, all the characters are going to act. Uh, so by the time we got to this fourth film, it's just like. I just like being here. I like being with these characters. I like <laughs> watching people die horribly. Like, you know, it has its beats. And like, as like they say in the movie, you know, unpredictable is the new cliche. It's, it's kind of like that. I, I, you can't say the movie's exactly predictable because you really don't know what's going to happen. I think it's fairly clever in how it keeps on its toes. But even then, it's never really surprising. So it's, it's, it's an interesting thing about sequels. I, I feel like there's a there's like a, one school of thought that's like sequels all have to be completely original and they can't, you know, they can't do anything like if they do anything like a previous film did, then it's automatically inferior. And I understand that. And I definitely appreciate when sequels can be, you know, wildly original and reinvent things. But I just 
I think there's a value in movies like this where it's just yeah. like, I just want to watch a bunch of films that all feel the same and make me happy. Is that so bad? <laughs> yeah, that's largely uh, why I enjoy this franchise so much. You know, with a lot of uh, with a lot of these other ones, they they end well with something like Friday the Thirteenth. <laughs> I don't mean to just bash on that series as much as I have been over the course of our bash away. episodes, but like those are all very similar. Like they're just the same movies, but and, and they're they're enjoyable enough at times, but you don't have the comfort of like the same characters or like, or anything that's just inherently likable about any of it. It's like, yeah, the kills are fun and it's all dumb and stupid, but whatever. Uh, and there is a level of comfort to like just those kinds of movies, but screen, like these movies are able to like do that where it's, you know, I know what I'm getting into. I know the ridiculousness of it. We're here to watch people get killed, but because we get to experience it with, the same characters who we care more and more about as the series goes on. It's like, it's that extra level of like, you know, it's why we love to binge the same shows again and why we just love to binge shows in, in general. It's just, we kind of fall in love with specific characters and we're okay to just sit through like different uh, different episodes of the, of the same sitcom again and again because, you know, we, we enjoy the, the setting. Yeah. And so, like the the first film was kind of was you know spoofing on horror films. The second film was spoofing on sequels. Uh, the third film was spoofing on things, I guess Hollywood in general. Um, this one, you know, coming uh, ten years later, is uh, kind of spoofy on remakes, and that's that's one element I think is overall pretty successful. I feel like the second film just didn't have a core concept. You know, they were, they obviously had to rewrite the film on the fly. And so they you know, they piece together you know, the, the return to Woodsboro angle with now they're in Hollywood and and you also only had uh, Nev Campbell for three weeks so it just it never felt like it had a, a core identity or you know statement to be made or, or you know an idea that I wanted to explore. They tried to talk about like you know trilogy enders and how it's like a no yeah. holds barred thing, but doesn't really feel like that. You know, everything that Randy said in that video kind of never happens other than like the, oh, it's going to have to do with your past. But, you know, just the brief fake out that they kill the brief killing Sydney fake out where he shoots her. Yes. um, Which they do again here as well. (laughs) And so I I, I like that idea of exploring remakes. You know, we're back. I love that the Woodsboro has kind of reset itself. Like we talked we talked about in the first episode how. The teens were all, they were all so smart for their own good. There was a sense of safety in their cynicism where, you know, they all, they all understood the world and and they they never, they didn't, there was no sense of danger or threat. They were all just, they were safe. They they were too smart for everything. They could think their way out of things. It was just, there was was no real, they they didn't understand danger. Um, And I feel like that was kind of, that tone in, you know, American youth was kind of shattered uh, it was 9-11 and I feel like here now in, in 2010 it was we've kind of built back up to that again where you kind of have like obviously the kids are very different and the, 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 I, I think he he incorporated things like social media and, and cell phones and all that pretty well you know, you know they, they don't feel like they're going they're, they're 90s kids but that that tone of just uh, it's the, the, the just the the kind of cool cynicism about it all is is back again in in a, in a more updated way that I, and and i love that all of our old you know all of our characters you know the teens from the 90s films they are now kind of 
in the place of the disconnected uh, adults. And it's just, you know, the whole the whole thing is just kind of reset. I think it's very, very fitting for something that's riffing on remakes. Yeah, it is. It is fun to like to see these characters that we already know and love kind of played the the out of touch adult characters who who aren't as involved in the the core narrative you know as you know in this case as they as they'd like to be well at least in the case of gail um mm-hmm. so it's it's a fun she, way to she's play pretty much that. in the same place as she was before <laughs> for most of this film yes Tr- just trying to get the scoop and i think the one problem the one it's a pretty big problem that comes with partially leaving the old cast behind and focusing mainly on the new cast is that I don't know that they're, they're, they're as good. I think uh, Hayden Panettiere, is that how you pronounce her name? Yes. Uh, as Kirby. I think she's a character worthy of the first fil- worst, first two films. Everyone else, they're not as insufferable as the Scream 3 cast, but I don't, they don't really leave much of an impact. So I, I feel like this film just has just simply too many characters so it it never has quite like I think the emotional weight of the first two films, uh, but again you know you were kind of like balance balance so it's somewhere balanced between like two and three, where you you don't have just the kind of general unlikableness about the third film, but it, they're not quite back to to recapturing the former glory. I think it, it it rides somewhere in the middle there because you know the character Nemesis are great. I think you know, Kirby's a great character and the other characters aren't terrible, but they're, they're just not all that memorable yeah i'd put it in between those two but i'd actually i'd put it closer to two than three um like you said i i really oh, do like uh kirby's character a lot um she's got she's kind of the uh, the tatum riley rose mcgowan figure for this film yeah uh i think she plays the role really well uh, i also like uh charlie and robbie fairly well like just as side characters i think they're actually pretty good and uh, but I, they're I, not Randy. They're not I, quite Randy. They tried to position them as the new Randy. <laughs> You're not there yet. Sorry, Rory Culkin. Uh, see, I don't know. I actually really liked Rory Culkin a lot in this. Uh, maybe I just didn't buy that someone as hot as Hayden Panettiere has the hots for her. Like that see, whole thing never funny, made I, sense. I totally he's did, actually. A, He's such a weirdo to agree. <laughs> but the thing is, he's got such a specific look and like the long hair. And I it's get... horrible. <laughs> so bad. Man, I I see what to me in a weird way it makes sense. I don't know. But uh like I could see him being like the that mysterious kind of like nerd, but who's actually kind of cool. Uh, this the scene like where they're on the couch watching the movie, like she's like l- seriously putting the moves on him, just like rolling my eyes like like in, in what universe kid is this happening see yeah i don't know i just i actually really bought that scene um <laughs> but but yeah i I, th- I thought he was really good in it um and so i th- i think he's he and and uh i just now forgot the name of the other robbie? he yeah he and robbie i think are are like as good as they need to be for uh and like, because we we go back to him enough, like with the the stabathon, and I did like Robbie. Is that you know the the, it's like he would have been the nerd that everyone picked on in the first film, but your know, times have changed, so he's he's just kind of the a whole live streamer, yeah, social like, influencer. He's not like the guy. cool guy, but he's also it's like well, we're not. It's not like like we're not, we're not the nineties anymore. You know, we're not pushing kids in lockers and stuff. Like it's they don't 
treat him like the guy who's going to get bullied. But I, yeah, I, th- I thought as side characters go, they're actually pretty good. Uh, the only person that I was, well, the only people who I was just like not really sold on is uh, Trevor Sheldon as Nico Tortorella. That's also, that's partially because the film barely gives him anything to do. So the, the the one complaint I have about the series is that they will randomly remove major characters for like entire acts and they just kind of bring them back like they've always been there in the final act. It's, it's an odd thing that happens a lot in the various Yeah, films. pulling him back to the house with like the the text message and everything. Like it works after the reveal, but just at, in terms of like the way the movie moves, it's it, the the removal of him and then like folding him back into the third act feels a bit off. And he's just a blank nothing of a character. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's something memorable about Billy Loomis, and there's something memorable about Derek as well. Like, they're they play them really well, and as we said, they they fold them into the current cast really well. And here he's just like, okay, I feel like I've seen this character eight thousand different times, and you're you're like the most bland version of that kind of <laughs> character that I've already seen. And then and I'm sure we'll we'll talk about these specific characters with more like detail later on but there's not a lot of detail in them <laughs> that that's true uh but i'm i'm not at all uh an emma roberts fan i i haven't seen much of her i thought she would i the movie nerve that like weird the social media commentary movie with uh dave franco i thought she was pretty good in that her, her and dave franco had really decent chemistry like that was just a fun little dumb movie i think she's just okay here i think she's adequate at times and then there are moments where i would honestly tip the needle even towards like saying i think she's kind of bad sometimes maybe it's an intentional choice that she's a, a disaffected psychopath or sociopath i don't, I don't know <laughs> i based on just other other things i've seen her from like what have you seen her in otherwise uh well she got her start in uh in disney movies no. Um, so I've seen her in many of those and like, it's her acting techniques from there to here translate, except it's like, it's like when, if whenever like the goody kid kind of sees the world and decides to be like, give himself a fake edge, <laughs> that's, that's what her performance here feels like. And you're still, you're still acting the same, like with the same level of quality and style as you were in all of these ridiculous Disney movies. You're just like trying to be. You know, this is my big break now, but I don't know. I mean, this this movie was about 10 years ago. Maybe she's gotten better. Maybe. I know she's like um, somewhat of a, I mean, I was going to call her a scream queen and she's in the show Scream Queens. And I think she's in the new season of American Horror Story. So I mean, she gets she gets around. So there's got to be something there. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. Everything I've seen from her, I, I just haven't been a big fan. And, and to me, she's maybe the in term just in terms of acting. She may be like the low for me here. Yeah. Um. Now, I do want to go back to that idea of the remake, and I I, I thought actually it was actually pretty well seen. I thought the the scripting of you know slow of kind of laying out the seeds of who the actual killer is was actually pretty clever. Just little things like when um I forget which character says it, like when we're, we're introduced to a character, you know, I'll I'll only get in the car if you promise not to kill me. As she's saying it to Emma Roberts' character. Um, <laughs> And, and just like little things that throughout the film, just like little looks she gives. Um, she she gets the, the pity me cut on her arm. Uh, Randy talked about in a oh yeah that we talked about two. in Scream Two. And just like the, the where she is throughout, and just little lines from uh like from her mother who has like two scenes in the movie, which is weird. Yeah, is she has scars? You know, but I have scars too. Nobody asked me about my scars. Like you, you kind of see the kind of 
atmosphere of envy and that, that, that she grew up in that kind of created this this really fame hungry person who's just envious that Sydney has the fame and now she has to be the victim and all that and she, I don't need friends I need fans like like you can kind of just see little bits of that like laying themselves out throughout the film leading towards the end yeah and I I even liked uh whenever you're in like the the film club with them and and uh Robbie says to Charlie who's like you know one of us could be the killer and, and Charlie just kind of looks away really quick mm-hmm. uh so yeah, there's rewatching it. There's those little bits and just little moments, like when uh, tra- you know Trevor sneaks into her bedroom, obviously calling back to uh, Billy Loomis climbing through the window, and then uh, Sydney comes in, and Trevor's like all impressed. Oh, this is you know this is this is Sydney Prescott, and he's just he's talking with her, and you can just see Emma Roberts or Jill like really annoyed and fuming in the background. That once you know once again she's stealing attention from her. Yeah, and I think it works well, like the idea of of remakes because with a lot of remakes there's that kind of you'll see very strict adherence to the original in some cases where you know we're recreating iconic shots and iconic kills and this and that and so especially going into the third act where they're like it starts off with that well they recreate the opening of of the first one like tying up uh, rory culkin's character very similar to to steve in the first one and then the twist with that mm-hmm. one i think is pretty cool with his reveal um, and then ending in, in a, like, again, kind of subverting it a little bit whenever you've got a scene like Billy and, um, and Stu, a recreation. And I, I really like her killing him. Like, no, we love soul survivors <laughs> here. Um, I thought that, that twist was really, really cool. <laughs> Just like old school, like Billy and Stu, shoulder me, shoulder me. That's the heart. There's nothing. <laughs> yeah. I, and I really liked him a lot in that scene. I think he's really good. Um, but, but yeah, like I, it walks that cool line of very clearly paying homages to, to moments, um, rewatching the opening to the original stab with a very psychotic bloodthirsty audience that just doesn't know how to not shout and throw popcorn <laughs> during a movie, uh, all the way to the third act. So it's, but, but so it, it homages these things and then it finds ways to kind of like be different. And I think one of the things I especially like is that we don't end in the house. And she even comments about that. She's like, the movie is supposed to end in the house. But they, they, already, they already mini- gave the fake out ending before. You know, you know the, the original stab a- ended at the house party. So we got to end there. Like, oh, that's the finale. Oh, no, not. We're back at the house kind of thing. Like, this is the fake ending. But no, there's another fake out ending. It's, it, 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 I, don't, I don't think the, the, the meta commentary is ever as clever as it was in the first two films. Yet, I think it all works pretty i think you know i think craven's direction is deft enough and you know he just keeps light on he's, he's light on his toes enough to just keep it fun and light and, ne- and ne- never relied too much on on the the meta commentary you know, there's always a real nasty edge to it like he just balances it well enough to where it's, it's I, I it's getting a little old everyone commenting on everything but it's it still just works yeah and that's the thing like that's what we referred to as before it's like there's something just so comforting where it's like you could say, okay, this is getting derivative, this is getting repetitive, but at the same time, I'd be disappointed if a lot of these elements left. I'm like, no, no, this is what I like. Come back. So it's it's still, this one just by the nature of what it is, it can't really rise to the level of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still just enjoy what it decides to be. Yeah, and speaking of the meta elements, I think that opening is pretty brilliant. Uh just yeah. the way it goes like it's crazy like some of the like lucy hale like she's still pretty small but she's 
she's been in some big movies. I think she was in that the Truth or Dare horror movie. Like she's been around. Uh, like Brent Robertson was from a uh, Tomorrowland. I really liked her there. Uh, speaking of which, she maybe she should have been a uh, Jill. Yeah, I think I would have liked that better. Um, and of course, <laughs> Anna Paquin and Kristen Bell. Uh, and I, just, I love that each level is just comedy on different uh, levels. You know, it's it's not scary; it's gross. I hate all that torture and por- torture porn crap. You know, you don't you don't give a crap who dies because there's no character development. Like, yep, preach it. <laughs> You're just speaking directly to my soul. <laughs> That's why I don't like all those movies. <laughs> and uh, like you know, they're, they're incorporating like texting, sexting, social media. Like, I I thought like it didn't quite feel like an old man comedy on the internet. It actually felt like that. Craven and Williamson had actually immersed like it's not like a all that like a great commentary, but it does feel like a pretty a pretty solid integration of things like cell phones and social media and just I guess youth culture per 2010 into into the film. It, it does not it doesn't feel like it's made by an old man. Yeah, he he avoids trying to to fold like youth lingo into jokes, um, which for me is like the worst thing um like i i really hate whenever terminology that is clearly not grasped by the person making it tries to like be like haha look at this i made a joke that you're sure to laugh at and fortunately there's never really those eye roll worthy moments here and going back to the opening i like that the the first kill sequence that is actually that i believe is stab six it feels like a well-produced student film trying to recreate like Scream and Wes Craven style. Like it's adequate, but it doesn't really have the heart. And like, I think there, are, I, I don't know if I think there's like moments where like Lucy Hale is like, who is like kind of dumbing down her acting to <laughs> yeah. be like, a, like the kind of actresses you would have in there. Um, and so I thought that was really clever. They're going to end back when and, uh, Kristen Bell were, it's just getting ridiculous. And over the top, you know, you know, there's no surprise. You can see everything coming. Stabs her. <laughs> you know, stab seven. It's just, it's a lot of fun. And it just, it just keeps going and playing out. And then there is a point. I, I don't, like, I, it's really crazy. Like, then you cut to, you know, Britt Robertson. I don't know the other actress. And, uh, and then you know, they're doing the same meta commentary, and you know, Stab Five has time travel, which is by far the worst. And then at some point in there, we switch from like you know meta commentary to okay, it's another kill sequence to to where it actually gets kind of disturbing towards the end. Like oh, there's there's some actual impact. Like and there was that shot, the shot I talked about from the first film that I, I talked about where Wes Craven used it way back in uh, the Last House on the Left. We have like the actress all bloody on the ground, kind of crawling away. And the killer, you know, standing, walking towards them, like out of focus in the in the background. But they used it again as she was like crawling towards the garage door. And like at some point, that sequence switches from like just goofy and meta and, and just kind of tired and cliche into something like by the time he actually killed it, it was, it was actually pretty disturbing, I thought. Yeah, there's definitely a difference in the portrayal of death. Like, I don't feel like the, the fake out sequences are ever asked to like, oh, no, like what's going to happen? Is she going to die? Because we're like, oh, yeah, this is fun. And then, like, you know, lowering the garage door and stuff, it definitely feels like, ooh, okay, so I, I think we're in the real movie now. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of those uh, those fake films, I love, uh, I don't know if they showed this in Scream 2 whenever they were showing the original one, but I love that it was directed by Robert Rodriguez in the movies. <laughs> I think that was new to his. Okay. Yeah. So moving into the main characters, I, I do feel like uh, they are kind of underused. Like, Sydney. 
she you know she's still great she's still sydney i feel like she's kind of like wandering around with like a, a thousand yard stare for a lot of the movie yeah similarly to like scream three um and it was kind of disappointing how easily she goes down there like there, there are like three or four sequences where she is an absolute badass like in in this in a, i think it's olivia's death where she just charges into the other house and then the killer comes and she just like tackles him down the stairs and like gives her this like this like big kung fu kick to the head like she's awesome and then at the end she just kind of i guess just kind of resigns herself and gets stabbed like no way, my my, my Sydney would totally have tackled. You know, she might have actually, she might have lost, but she would have gone for it at least, and she wouldn't have let uh, Jill take her out that easily. I guess we're supposed to think she's still, you know, kind of in shock over it. Maybe, but at least, you know, at least she didn't. To you know, to her credit, just a scene before, uh, not that scene, but like we're we're in the hospital, told like, well, it's touch and go. We're not sure, but she might come <laughs> through, and then she's like putting up a fight at the very end and like killing her. This is. You know, she she pulled through what could have been a very mortal injury that was touch and go, and is just kind of like back in action pretty easily. Speaking of which, that entire hospital sequence was a reshoot. Oh, was um, the original film was supposed to end with uh, I think Emma Roberts going into the ambulance and hearing, "Oh no, someone else." No, she, she Jill still not Jill, uh, Sid's still alive, and then it would have ended there. Oh, <laughs> that would have actually been kind of cool. So like. I, there's there's not a lot in the you know, in way of like an arc or character growth for Sydney. It's kind of Jill kind of gets all of that. And there was a really cool thing he did, like the perspective switch after Jill quote unquote kills Sydney. I thought was really effective. Like where she's she like hasn't been a, like we haven't been in her perspective at all. The, the entire climax has been almost entirely either in Kirby or Sydney's perspective, and then we then Sydney dies and we're just we're following her now and. It's it real the movie. I lo- I love that the movie doesn't cheat. It, it fully becomes Jill's movie, and she's just wandering around hurting herself. That sequence is pretty <laughs> she, great. It's it's so good. Just smash your head into the into the you know the the mirror, like scratching your face. <laughs> I love when she like puts the knife against the door. And again, you know, playing off the original, but I think putting a really good little twist on it. Yeah, but so kind of on that subject though. Um, one of my issues with the film is that, like you said, we're never really in Jill's POV. But w- beforehand, I feel like this movie does a lot of jumping around in perspective. And oh, yeah. I think one of the things that suffers, I, I think one of the things that suffers from is lack of a clear lead. Um, you know, because we've got this new cast that they're trying to like put everybody in the same kind of roles while also bringing back um, the original cast. And it's not nearly as, like, just disastrous as, as it was handled in, in uh, Scream 3. They, they, they still they want to be a remake and have a new cast, but they really want to have the old characters in there, too. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a cake-and-eat-it-too kind of situation. Yeah, neither quite lives up to its potential. Yeah, exactly. The, the original three, and I love spending time with the original three, uh, but they just feel... You, uh, Dewey and Sydney feel very passive throughout, which makes sense. Like I, I love that Dewey is now the sheriff, but he's a freaking idiot in this movie. Yeah. Like, why is he allowing kids to have a stabathon when you have a serial killer on the loose and and not listening to Gail? Like, they never really gave a reason to why he's constantly trying to. Maybe like maybe it's for her own protection, but like it's never specified. So he's just like. 
she like literally has information like the kids are having a stabathon the killer's probably going to be there and he's like nope not listening not listening and he doesn't he doesn't even go go there until she goes there herself and you know you know gets in danger why why is he an idiot yeah it, that that whole conflict there because the thing is i think there's definitely ways for that conflict to make sense where he's maybe you know focus on like the pressure of actually being a sheriff during one of these one of these kinds mm-hmm. of of killing sprees <laughs> And there was an uh, there was an earlier draft where they actually had a baby together, which I think would have been really interesting. Yeah, and so just any reason for him to want like or to not want her involvement, I think, would make more sense. But here, it just it feels like this kind of haphazard kind of a uh, uh, conflict. And I like Gail going at the uh, like her showing up and flipping everybody off when she's in front of the screen and stuff like. <laughs> I think she's fun. And then she, of course, kind of like gets taken out for the rest of the film. And the, the new camera gag is pretty good good as well. Yeah, yeah. Where you know, she, she, see, she, she, you know, she turns the camera around and she sees she's being filmed. And as she's walking to herself being filmed, she's filming the killer behind her. It's like, it's, it's just cl- cl- a lot of clever stuff going on. And speaking of that, I really like the scene where he's got the, the headset with the camera backwards and you think they're about to use it. Like, uh-oh, we're going to see someone's behind him. And that's just kind of like a fake out, like make you think that they're going to use that. And then he turns it forward and the second <laughs> he turns it forward, the door opens and we just see it front re- front view and he's right there. Um, I, I really like that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't know why the gag is so funny with him walking into the potted plant. <laughs> <laughs> just made me laugh so much. And I actually, I really liked, uh, <laughs> I liked his character, but... I also kind of like this death where you're like, I'm gay. If that helps, <laughs> I need to just go for it anyway. <laughs> the only clear rule is you know, the only clear way to survive is to be gay. And then Rory Culkin looks really pointedly at a uh, Kirby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, like they've yeah this this cast definitely has ways of like they end up being fun to watch. Just mm-hmm. I, I think it's it's also not entirely on on them just because. Like you said, the the film never really fully commits to them because we're switching perspectives and stuff. I feel like being 2010 really hurt them because in the 90s, you could have Stu. You can't have Stu in 2010. <laughs> like <laughs> there's a wildness and craziness and just there's a freedom in the 90s to be so much bigger and just to really mark your place. And like even uh, even Kirby, even though you know she's definitely the Tatum Standard. She's far more subdued than that character was. Like, it, it, the 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 they're going for much more quote unquote realism with the performances, and you're just not gonna be as memorable because the the writing simply isn't there. Any, anything great about these characters is gonna have to come from the performances, and I think uh, Hayden Panettiere is the only one really up to that task. Oh, well, I, I, okay. Uh, the 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 kid with the, ca- the camera. I, I I sorry. I cannot remember their names all that well. But the kid with the camera. I think there's something. Um, yeah, he's pretty. He's pretty decent. He's very small, very side character, but uh, he's suitably sleazy and <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, I don't know. I I think both he and and Corey Culkin are both like are maybe just under uh, Hayden Panettiere. I think they both played those parts really well. Uh, I think Rory Cole, his face is just so specific and memorable and the long hair and like just the very, very quiet delivery. I think he plays it really well, but the the script just doesn't exist with them quite long enough. Yeah. And I don't know that the script existed with Billy and Stu all that much. I think it was, but I think the performances really drove it over the line. Sure. But they, they still felt 
they had the benefit of being a part of what was a very clear core narrative, core cast. Yeah. And this movie just yeah. feels like it's like, is this a high school movie? Is this a, a movie about high school kids where like, and of course we have the adult characters who are kind of uh, peripheral or is this, you know, a movie about like these people who are, who are growing older and watching this younger generation? Like, the perspective, I feel like, shifts, and so they never benefit from being like, "Oh, these are like the char- these are core characters." It's like, well, these are like stand-ins for core characters, but I don't know if they really are. I don't like, I don't know. I I think there's just this weird like up in the air with with where the film's at with these people. Yeah, I think this film did the, the element of the killers making their own movie, making their own remake, probably definitely better than three and possibly better than, you know, even Timothy Oliphant in Scream 2, even though, although I do love his whole the thing. He wants to get caught. He wants to have the trial and have the, the Christian coalition pays yeah. his legal fees. Um, but like just the idea you know, she needs his, you know, she was left behind and forgotten. So now she has to become the victim so she can have her 15 minutes of fame. And so she's, creating this whole scenario where she's now the sole survivor. And I love the shot where she's being rolled out in the gurney and all the, all of the news cameras are flashing lights right in her face. And she's like, Oh, she's in heaven now. Yeah. And I love the touch where after she's done, like just bashing herself all over the house, she lies down next to Sydney. And there's like that moment where she looks at her hand and she like, makes sure that her hand is like laid out the same way. It was a cool touch. Yeah. One th- like on the subject of like creating your own movie, uh, a line that they had in the, towards the end that I'm like, man, I wish, like I'm, it's cool that you're bringing this up, but I feel like this would have been a way cooler to just involve this in the narrative throughout. With the idea of um, they've been filming it all, so they've they're crafting this own narrative with these kills. You know, and he's like, I got I got the best footage yet with the uh, the Robbie kill. Blah blah blah. Like, to me, it would have been way cooler. Uh, and in folding in like uh, just live streaming and uh, which I don't I don't think live stream was a thing that like because uh, the the Robbie, he seems like his whole webcasting thing seems like such a weird novelty, the way it's treated in the film. Like, I, live streaming wasn't what it was now. It wasn't what it was then, but, like, I I feel like there were enough references that it it didn't feel like it was this new thing to me, though. Like, it felt... Like, I mean, if you watch, like, modern live streamers, they speak exactly how he does. They're, like, where you, like, <laughs> you pull it out and you look in the camera, like, hey, guys, so this is what I'm... Like, it's... It still feels very. But he, he has to carry a headset with a camera on the side of his face to do it, like. Sure, like the technology was... is obviously different, but it's just like the the manner, just the the idea of referring to like a core audience and stuff. And but with it, even with the the really though, with them saying like, "Hey, we're gonna use this footage," I think it would have kind of been cool to use the footage throughout, like for the killers to release the videos and stuff, and like posting it throughout, maybe like leaving hints like. Oh. Just so you know of who the next victim is in the shot, so you have to be, like the police have to be studying it or something. Like that would be fun. Yeah, and and then try to like make a fake narrative around it and like use real kills for the kills in this little narrative that they're making. I I don't know how they would have done that, but I just I think that they bring up a really cool idea about like using recorded kills at the very end. But I think that would have been cooler if that, if that was actually used in the film. What was their excuse for recording it actually in the end? Um, I think it was just like, in their mind, Trevor, if I'm saying Trevor was Trevor's the killer, right? Yes. Trevor. And then, and then, uh, he would have been the stew. Who was the stew? Well, uh, Jill turned, uh, 
turn Corey Culkin's character into the stew at the very end. No, but he was going to be the Randy. He was going to be the Randy. Survivor. Yeah, yeah. He thought he, he was, was the Randy. Randy. So was there already a stew or was it just going to be Trevor? It was just going to be Trevor. So what was the point of filming it then? Just this was his. I think no. I know that there is a line that refers to it. Uh, I think it was just like to to top the original by actually being able to show the kills. You know, uh, I want to say there's some sort of line about like this being modern. You know, like we've got to see things because we don't care. Like we're desensitized to stories or something like that. But back to something that I really did like, uh, and you messaged this. Uh, I, I think while you were watching it, where after Scream Three, which so I. I was definitely harsh on it in our last episode. I kind of want to differentiate between like what I would consider like an objective score and just my personal because I still enjoy Scream 3. Like it's a cozy watch and stuff. I just don't think it's very good. But what is like cool to me is after coming off of Scream 3 was just it feels like a different animal than Scream 1 and 2. There's there's some sort of disconnect that they they can't recapture what was going on in those um, despite the fact that I don't think Scream 4 is as good as the first two, I do like, uh, and this is what you had mentioned, that the tone is really able to shift back into, like, this is Scream. Like, this is what the Scream series feels yeah. like. Uh, you know, late nights, <laughs> in roof, looking out windows from the, the second story. We do that a lot in these movies, you know. And so, just like the quaint neighborhoods, the feeling of... of like the isolation that you just weren't able to have in Scream 3. It's it's what I think this movie looks really really good during the night scenes. Did did the the weird glow effect bother you during the daytime stuff? I'm not sure what you mean by glow effects. I I I did notice like it, the it was a bit more uh it was a lot more saturated. Like it was the colors were popping a bit more. Like you could tell like the first there was there was definitely a, a little bit of color grading going on, but it, nothing to crazy. Me it, it looked for me, it was super noticeable. It felt like the 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 things the other movies that feel very similar would be like the third Hobbit, where there's like just this this really this glow off of everything, and then inside Lewin Davis, which is done very intentionally there. But it's it's this weird like the things in focus are in focus, but the outlines are just like so almost blurred and the the back like the the actual background like the foreground is mostly fine but the background just feels super washed out um i don't know it's it's really it felt really odd after the episode i'll i'll take screen caps and i'll try to like highlight like normally i would say that was probably like a switch to digital but it was actually shot on film so i'm not sure what would have caused i'm not sure but uh yeah it it felt it felt like this weird sheen that didn't scream like uh scream uh, horror film during <laughs> during those uh, moments, which is is which I kind of like because none of the previous three films like screamed hor- uh, horror film in their their standard cinematography, and I, I was really glad that we still got the the kind of nineties fight sequences <laughs> yeah. in this film. Like, there's no quick cuts, there's no shaky cam, like. I, I miss this stuff where it's just people throwing themselves at each other and these elaborate trips and kicks and haymakers. It's just, there's, there's, it, it, it's, it's a type of action that we just don't get anymore. Especially in 2010, it was all shaky cam and quick cuts and seeing something like this feels almost kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. I, like this is something that they've all had. I just love how exaggerated like Ghostface is like how his falls are and everything. There's the shot of, of Sydney and Jill running up the stairs and Sydney turns around and kicks him and he's like on the seventh step. <laughs> he jumps back and falls down the whole thing in like a single yeah. leap. It's it's a lot of fun. 
and yeah we do kind of have that like even in like aside from just the um the differences and and cinematography everything feels exaggerated too like it's just like big swings and kicks and falls and stuff it's it feels like it's not trying to it's it's commenting on modern movies but it's it's belonging to to its own series yeah one other element i kind of enjoyed was uh the character of judy hicks uh by uh, marley shelton um, like, I feel like she's completely forgotten in the second half of the film, but just this, she's pretty much the new, the new Dewey from the first film, <laughs> just the overeager rookie who's constantly flirting with Dewey. Um, uh, the scene, the scene where uh, she keeps trying to block Gail from going <laughs> to Dewey's office, and then her, she's, just, she's just really funny. But I, I do think she's kind of forgotten in the second half of the film. And yeah, it's weird. Like this movie has a weird thing with its cast, where you know you've got the core cast throughout like the from screen one two and three and now here and then you've got like this new cast that is differentiated from them and then you've got even like side characters in addition to that that aren't a part of that like the the two police officers and and uh and her r.i.p <laughs> gone too soon um i love him like i'll be right back dang it aren't i not supposed to say that well new rules maybe you'll come back and find me dead <laughs> And they both die. <laughs> the, the knife to the face. Ugh. Oh, and there's an interesting story about that. Uh, that wasn't in the script, and like that wasn't even what was supposed to be shot going into the scene for that day. Um, but just like a couple days before shooting, maybe even the day before, um, Craven had read an article about a guy who was like stabbed through the forehead, and he was like he walked himself to the hospital, and so he's like how weird to like walk around with a with a knife in your head, and so he's like never. I'm changing the kill. You know, it's going to happen this way. Did you think of Tucker and Dale versus Evil? Like, oh, he's going to be fine. He's going to walk it off <laughs> in that moment. He has had a doozy of a day. Cops and horror movies. <laughs> F. Bruce Willis. Yeah, there's a Alison Brie, the Rebecca Walter character, the publicist. Uh, like, that's such a ridiculous character. But I, th- I think uh, Brie is actually kind of funny in the role. So, like, You're the victim for life. Embrace it. You know, I know you care about your readers, all those downtrodden little Fs who just need a little light at the end of the tunnel so they don't jump off a bridge. <laughs> like, she's just evil. Yeah, she's, she's kind of funny then. She's gone. Yeah, as a character, it feels like she's there because, you know, we need one more kill and we're not going to try to blow through our, our high school cast this quickly. Um, I've, I've always liked her, though. Uh, Alison Brie, ever since uh, watching Community, she's got really funny comedic timing. Um, and one thing, like, despite the fact that the character just to me, like, feels like very obvious padding, like, well, let's throw in somebody who might fit in with like, well, we need a publicist, uh, a publicist. It just kind of makes sense, I guess. But it is kind of fun to have that, that fame hungry kind of Gail Weathers at her very beginning, like introduction, but the movie doesn't have to like, you know, redeem her. It doesn't have that burden on it. It's just like, no, you're awful. I'm going to kill you. That that felt like the most telegraphed traditional slasher kill scene. Like, I don't feel like there was there was there was a gimmick to that. Like, you know, Wes Craven always brings some kind of gimmick to his sequences that that I think you know plays his slasher movies above everyone else. That one just felt much more traditional. Yeah. See, I feel like we've pretty well covered this film. I feel like you know it's it's not all that deep. It's fun. I think you know the the. The sequel, the remake commentary is really clever. I don't know that there's there all that. I feel like we were quoting like the first two films, especially a whole lot more. Like, I don't. It's the script is never bad here, but it's just I don't know if that is as memorable. The characters, maybe it's just because the characters and performances aren't as over the top or something. Yeah, 
they those originals definitely had the benefit that we've talked about about where like the 90s you just you went you went full for it you know and like i think it is hard to criticize them just because you know you're having to act a bit more like more restrained and stuff and i i would wonder like if i went back and look just rewatched those trying to figure out if the lines i quote are, are really like uh, that's just on paper that's a quotable line or if it, it really is just because of the brash loud kind of performances but just immediately yeah. thinking it is kind of hard to to think about like oh that's you know there's not a liver alone in in this one really <laughs> um i i think that you know like i'm gay if it helps is is that's one that kind of like fits in with those other films but mostly it's it's just pretty pretty normal conversational stuff kirby running through all the <laughs> two dozen horror remakes yeah. in the last 10 that years was, was pretty that was good. using all the trailers and it was i, I really liked that moment yeah oh dude that, i feel I, I feel so bad and her death does get me yeah just, yeah like yeah, there that last kill where she's just in his in his arms just like completely shocked and in pain and crying like and the knife goes to the second time I'm like oh this act this kind of hurt like i I'm clenching now. Ouch. I don't like watching this and I feel sorry for her. Yeah. Um, which is how you should feel for every death in a screen film. Yeah. Uh, but alas, it's a rarity. It's a rare, kind of a rarity in the last two sequels. So yeah, I feel like we're about ready to wrap up this discussion. So let's move into our, our star rating and ranking for the series. So James, what do you give this out of five stars and how can, how do you rank it against the previous three films? Uh, so I give it a, a three out of five. I do enjoy it. Um, I enjoy it a lot in the moment. I think just it, it does suffer from lack of lead, lack of real perspective. Um, I think the cast just isn't, you know, maybe isn't quite up there with those originals. And like, even if they were, they do kind of suffer from being more restrained and lack of focus. Um, but it's still fun. And so... As, unlike the the third one, I don't think that my issues with it are enough to just bring this like me looking at it not as someone who just enjoys it, but like how is this like as as a film? How is this made? Is this good? I I still come to a, a net positive because I do think the commentary is clever. I do think there are some bits like some sequences that are really cool. I love the opening. I love the twist of going into an extended third act at the hospital. Uh, whenever she's told like yeah, Jill made it. Uh, I really like that bit. Yeah. Um, or not Jill, um, Sydney. There's there's a lot of fun there. And so my ranking goes uh, Scream 1, Scream 2, Scream 4, and then 3. And uh, so I, I give it three and a half stars, like same as you. Like it's, it's a really fun, breezy little film. It's, it's kind of forgettable. <laughs> I just watched it like two days ago. I'm having trouble finding things to say. But my memory of watching it is, is very pleasant. Um, yeah. In the Scream series and the Lethal Weapon series is kind of my go-to for for film series that I just like that I I love because they don't change and they don't reinvent themselves. Um, the, the kind of the comfort food franchises, which I don't understand how this nasty West Craven series about teeth being murdered ended up being like that, but I guess that's some of his magic. And so I give it three and a half stars, and I rank it the same as you. Uh, one, one, two, four, three. So as far as it's a box office, um, it opened to second place behind Rio with only 18 million, then faded out very quickly. 
uh, by its fourth weekend, it was making less than it made less than one million. Mm. Um, so it, it only made thirty eight million domestically and uh, fifty eight million on the foreign markets for a worldwide total of ninety seven million on its forty million dollar budget. Um, so it's the lowest grossing film in the series by about sixty five million. Oof. It did, however, get much better reviews than the third installment. It holds a 60% on, on Rotten Tomatoes and a 52 on Metacritic, uh, which is weird because the Metacritic rating is actually even lower than what Scream 3 got. However, you know, the, the uh, Rotten Tomatoes rating is about 20% higher. Uh, the audience ratings are also kind of mixed. This, um, this one got a 55% on the audience meter, which is uh, roughly 20% higher than Scream 3. So, like, it wasn't loved. I think I, I watched a couple YouTube reviews and looked around. Like, most, thought, most people thought it was, it was decent, kind of fun, but Overall, people were just, it just, they were over, Scream was kind of a relic of the past. Like, oh, hey, there was that movie. It was kind of fun. Now what's for lunch? Like, it didn't have any kind of impact on the audience or critics. It was just kind of, it happened. No, it didn't seem like anyone really disliked it. Most people kind of had a pleasant enough time, but it was really just almost immediately forgotten. Yeah. And there's honestly little else to be said or added to that in terms of its legacy. Um, you know, like Scream 3 earning a good bit more than it and also just having existed a lot longer and being closer to release with those. Like when people don't forget that, it's just kind of like they watched it, but there was not a lot to remember. Like Scream 4 just seems to have been missed by so many people too that like some some of the just general lack of existence in certain circles is partially just because like this one came and went and you're likely to have an easy time of finding somebody who just didn't watch it. Uh, and when you do, like I said, there's not really a whole lot of people who actively dislike it. Um, you know, whenever I ask, if I'll put in a, a group, you know, like, what do people think of Scream 4? Most of the time, it's like, you're not even really going to get a, a reply. And if you bring it up specifically, they're like, like no, I, I didn't dislike it. I, I, you know, I enjoyed it. But like, there's not even, there's not even enough of a, of a general like, like of it that, kind of spurs people in a conversation around it, at least in my experience. So um, it just, it seemed like, I, I don't know when those other, re- I guess it was around that time because you had the the Friday the 13th remake in 09 and the- I feel like late, late 2000s to early 2010s was with the real heyday we had, uh, was, which, what, what is Michael Bay's um, company that was making all the, Dune, was it something, oh, something Dune? Oh, Dune, Dune, yeah. Yeah, Platinum Dunes. Um, yeah, well, the thing is, it exists within that because you had 09, Friday the 13th, 2010, Nightmare on Elm Street, 2011, Scream 4, and then 2013, The Evil Dead. Um, but was The Evil, the so Evil Dead wasn't Platinum Dune? That, that was Sam Raimi. And, and- no, it, it wasn't Platinum Dune. I'm just saying, like, in terms of, like, this era of, of revisiting 80s and 90s, like, films with reboots or continuations or however you want to you you, you also had all the, the west craven movies like you had last house on the left and the hills have eyes both being remade in that time period as well yeah so it's it's weird to me though like i feel like there was a desire to re restart the franchises with a lot of those and you know all of those were standalones you know none of none of those films it's it looks like evil dead is about to get another one i don't know if it's actually continuing with i know fetty alvarez isn't returning which makes me sad because despite like some issues i had with the movie i loved his direction mm-hmm. but so i don't know if that's a continuation or reboot or whatever they're doing there but of of the ones that kind of were revived there uh nothing really took off in fact it it's kind of it kind of took until now with with that, the Halloween remake for, I guess, audiences to to be ready for those again. Slashers as a whole aren't aren't really a. Th- I mean, they they exist. Like, but like the, there's 
there's this weird like quasi slash thing, like the movie I mean, Truth or Dare or fair, or movies like uh what's the what's the Escape from like Ready or Not uh yeah, well Ready or Not which, Ready or Not like where they they kind of have there's a lot of slasher elements but they're not true slashers you know, know what I mean like like you have a large cast that is systematically being killed off but you they're not not in the traditional slasher vein like that that's it's interesting where where horror is right now where you have like a lot of those kind of PG-13 horror movies, most of them being made by Blumhouse, that sort of kind of fit into the slasher vein, but not really. And then, and then, you, then you have the highbrow horror. You have, you know, you're the Lighthouse, the Witch, and uh, what's, the, mm. what's the... what's the, what's the Talking one? my love language right now. Hereditary, Hereditary Midsummer. Uh, what's the one with the, the Michael Yak is shot? Uh, M. Night Shyamalan's Deuce of the one he shot with uh, Michael Monroe. Um, it follows. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, like, there's that kind of highbrow horror and then like the cheap really kind of crappy blumhouse stuff oh yeah i guess uh jordan peele fits in there somewhere as well uh it's weird slashers exist in a very like niche cult following now where you you still have movies like like hatchet or 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 you have the fun ones like there's the the the, uh the happy death day kind of movies or there's the black christmas remake coming with their but but they're 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 much more tongue-in-cheek like scary nasty slashers aren't aren't big at all anymore and so as far as this film like there was initially you know he there, there were he, williamson had ideas of a trilogy and there was some talk about you know sequels but then the film really massively underperformed and it all went on hold and then williamson went on and developed the scream tv series for mtv uh which went on in june of 2015 uh the third season came out this year uh but there has been no announcement of a fourth season so i don't know if that's dead or not and of course uh uh on August 30th of 2015, Wes Craven passed away at the age of 76, uh, making Scream for his final uh, film, which, uh, you know, his previous film the previous year was uh, My Soul to Take, which got savaged by the critics and massively bombed. So I'm glad he, he, he you know, had this this kind of pleasant final note for his career to go out on. Yeah. Of coming back to the series that that kind of, that, that gave him, you know, a, a, new, a new lease on his, you know, a life in his career in the 90s. The, the, the 2000s were kind of spotty for him. You, you had Scream 3 in 2000. Then in 2005, you had uh, Cursed, which was also written by Kevin Williamson, but also was got terrible reviews and bombed. And then Red Eye, which I really want to see. I heard really great things about that. And that was a hit. Yeah, I didn't even realize that was him until recently. I do want to watch that one. It, it is crazy. Like so many directors, especially those slasher directors from the 80s, like they had a couple big films and they just kind of vanish. And there's like a whole bunch of like 50, 60 year old directors who just kind of either only make like directed DVD stuff or, or just, you know, stop making movies. Like he was able to stick around, you know, right up to, up until the end of his life. And, you know, his movies might not have been, you know, massive, you know, massive or all that well received or, you know, game changer, but he was still, you know, he was still making decently respect, decent, respectable movies at, at a large scale, which is pretty rare once you're you know, getting into your upper 70s or lower 70s yeah not, not many guys get to be you know martin scorsese or ridley scott or whatever <laughs> or george miller making these yeah. huge fueled action films and and the, 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 we're talking about the tone i think that his unique tone for the screen films might come from the fact that he was never he never wanted to be a horror director like he was really good at it and he got pigeonholed there and he tried to escape it for a while but then like i think in, around around the time of scream he kind of just realized that this was his thing. But when you watch the movies, they're so pleasant and nice outside of the death scenes. Like maybe that, that was the real Wes Craven all along. 
maybe the real Wes Craven was the friends we made along the way. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> but and uh, as far as there has been talk of other screen films, I think uh, Jason Blum kind of offhand mentioned the possibility of resurrecting the series, but you know, not and that, ha- that happened earlier this year, but nothing at all has been confirmed. Uh, the you know the Weinstein Company went out. Uh, you know, obviously you had the whole thing with the Weinstein Company with a. Uh, uh, you know, all the action, accusations against Harvey and then him being ousted from the company. Then the company went bankrupt last year. I think it's all owned by uh, Lantern Entertainment now. So who knows what's going to happen? You know, th- this film was Bob Weinstein's baby, you know, for the whole time, to- the whole run. And I don't know. What, what is he doing now? Is he, is he retired or? I'm not sure. And I do think we have to bring up the, uh, like the fact that there is a TV show. Um, yeah. Well, maybe, but maybe I just, was. I just, I'm so uninformed on it that I, I couldn't say one thing or other about it. Yeah, so like, how, how would you do Scream now? Um, like, I feel like w- with films like Happy Death Day, like you look at that film and it, it's 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 the exact same tone. Like that tone, you know, it got really bad in the early 2000s and then kind of went away a little bit. And now it's it's just kind of the norm when you do slashes, you do you have them kind of funny and tongue in cheek and. And also, like you wouldn't want to be doing them at at, at the level, like you don't ma- you don't really make horror films with forty million dollar budgets like that anymore, especially you think films that are as low key as the as these movies are. So, if, would you do it at like the Blumhouse like five to ten million dollar budget? And if so, how would you differentiate it from all the other Blumhouse movies? If that's the thing. Like, I guess you just have to like think about like what's what's the point of of um maybe Jordan Peele could do it. Yeah, he could probably do something like that'd be really. What I was thinking is, um, like, you have to ask, like, what what is Scream for? Like, is it at its core just existing to to be a, a commentary? And at that at the time, what it was saying was different things. Like, slashers were different back then, and now slashers are kind of more comedic, more tongue in cheek, more self aware. And so, I don't know if you if you want to de- completely depart from tone, but stay in the spirit of just like commentating on. Um, like just where the genre is, and sh- I I would not be a fan of this. But like, if by sticking to that, do you almost just go a funny games route of like now poking fun at our desire to watch this and like just like the fact we call it comfort food and, and it's like teen deaths and stuff? Or I don't really I don't know if there is that place for Scream anymore. I think Scream is too similar to what these movies already are, just by themselves now. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, all right, so that was our review of Scream 4, and our that is our, our, us finishing up the Scream series. I hope you enjoyed that. If you did like that, I ask you again to please take a moment to go and rate and review us on iTunes. If you want to like us on Facebook, we are there as Franchise Fatigue Podcast. If you want to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, we are on both of those sites as at FranchisedPod. And uh, if you want to find our other episodes, you can go to FranchiseFatiguePodcast.com. And where can people follow you, James? You can follow me on Letterboxd. I'm there as JL Hamry. It's J-L-H-A-M-R-I. And you can also join us over at the Outer Rim, a Star Wars group on Facebook. We're growing steadily over there, and we're all getting excited about all the new content coming up with uh, The Mandalorian, just everything with Disney Plus and Jedi Fallen Order and obviously Rise of Skywalker, which we're marathoning the, the series. Glow more Season 7! Yeah. Uh, which is a long ways away, but I'm still super pumped for it. Exactly. You can't control my hype for that. Um, I will be excited for it until it comes out, and then I'll probably still just, just exist in hype for it a, a good long while after I've seen it. 
so yeah, join us over there if you love Star Wars and you want to talk positively about it. And uh, I'm also on Letterboxd, and there's Gabriel Green. You can follow me on Instagram as Gabe the Great Green. Uh, I also have a YouTube channel called Greenery01, where I put out these movie-based music videos, and I just put out one, a, like a video tribute to the Man from Uncle movie, which is an amazing movie, and you should watch it. Yeah. If you didn't like it the first time, you should watch it again because it's awesome. <laughs> All right, uh, so next week we are going back to the MCU uh, with Doctor Strange, uh, an episode that should have come out at the beginning of this month. Uh, Hopefully there won't be any massive uh, delays or disasters with this episode. All right, uh, so until next week, we will see you back in the MCU. Don't mess with the original. (laughs) 